Welcome to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. This podcast brings you teaching and preaching from our archives, and you can find more resources, audio, video, and books at unionpublishing.org. Where we left things off is we are looking at the Lamb of God. Uh, So, what I want to do now is move on to see a little bit more of the Lamb. So let's flick now to Exodus 12 to see a bit more. Exodus 12. Okay, and here in Exodus 12, at Passover, we're going to see some more things about the penal substitute, the substitute who bears our penalty and to see some of the sort of extra bonuses, some of the extra things you gain from substitution. Now, what's the context for this? Well, Passover, it's Israel's last night in Egypt. So they've had a couple hundred years or so of slavery in Egypt, and tonight's the last night. They're just about to leave their slavery. Now, so the Passover is not just going to mean life for the firstborn. Do you remember it's all about the firstborn being judged? Yeah. But it's not just going to mean life for the firstborn. Through the Passover, the people of God are going to be freed from their slavery. See another great benefit of the gospel being kind of taught us? So, let's have a look at how that happens. What happens? Well, the first thing you see in Exodus 12 is that on the tenth day of the first month, each household is to get itself a lamb. And already we're going, oh, lamb. Yeah, that means a lot to us now. So, each household is to get its own lamb. And verse 5, the lamb is to be a year-old male without defect. Oh, a year-old male without defect. Now, just that is so significant. Male, we know why it's got to be male, because we know what this lamb is all about. But also, without defect so significant it's part of this whole overall pattern of the Old Testament where animals used for atonement must be perfect spotless at the height of their strength do you see it's because we have defects we need atonement so if the animal has got defects of its own it'll just die because it's got its own defects it can't die for another So the substitute, to be a substitute, must be perfect. Now you see, such a detail just don't make sense if the basic mechanism of atonement isn't penal substitution, a substitute bearing our penalty. Why why would you have that, that information about the necessity for the lamb to be without defect. 
in any other system just doesn't make sense. And I think that's the problem, really, with people like Steve Chalk's interpretation of the cross, that they detach it from, their old, from its Old Testament context. And you see, if you detach the cross from its Old Testament context, you can say the cross is about whatever you want to say. Do you mean you can say, ah, there's this man dying. That is to say that he really likes us. Or you could go for the Mel Gibson thing, that this is kind of salvation through pain, and, you know, Gibson, Mel the masochist, likes that kind of stuff. You know, you can say whatever you want about the cross if you detach it from its biblical context. But let's go back to the Passover to see a bit more of this Old Testament context. Lamb must be perfect, as Christ would be. Then verse 6. For four days the lamb was to be kept within the house. Now, something very cool happens in Deuteronomy 16. I promise. Moses changes this in Deuteronomy 16. You see, from Deuteronomy 16, which is at the end of the wilderness wanderings of Israel, Moses says, Sorry guys, you're not allowed to celebrate the Passover in your own house anymore. That's not how we're going to do it anymore. The Passover must be celebrated in God's house, the temple in Jerusalem. Which means that from then on, as soon as the Israelites get to the Promised Land, the Passover lambs had to be kept within the temple, within Jerusalem, for the four days before Passover. And that, of course, is why Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem four days before Passover, before those lambs would be killed in the temple. For he is the true lamb. And it's in just those small little ways that the Old Testament sets it up. And in just such ways, the New Testament seeks to put the cross within an Old Testament context. Because the New Testament wants to show us, as Paul says it outright in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, wants to show us, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Christ is our Passover lamb. And so, at the Last Supper, for instance, it's the night before Jesus is executed, and he's celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And as he celebrates Passover, there's bread, there's wine, but what's missing? The most essential part of any Passover meal, the lamb, yeah? He's not serving up a lamb. And instead he says, take, eat, this is my body. Eat me. For he is the lamb. He is the lamb. Moving on. Verse 6. Four days later, the lamb is to be killed at twilight. And its blood is then poured out so that people can shelter under that blood as it's 
daubed on the house as the Lord is going to judge the whole land and spare only those who shelter under the sign of the blood the mighty Baptist 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon when he preached on this passage said it is blood, 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 blood that saves it is not blood mixed with the water of our poor works it is blood, 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 blood and nothing else and the only way of salvation is by blood for without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin that is our gospel it cannot be glorious without being gruesome for our sin is gruesome indeed and think about where that blood is put where are you supposed to put the blood you're supposed to daub it on the outside of your door at night who's going to see that you're inside having a nice little Passover meal and the blood's out at night dark red no one's going to see it that's the point only God can see it because that's the point the blood isn't there to make people go oh aren't my sins bad or maybe I should live a better life no the blood is there for God to see it so that God's anger is averted that is atonement just one other little detail verse 46 of Exodus 12 with this lamb do not break any of the bones why? do not break any of the bones well in John 19 the gospel of John John goes to quite some length as he describes the crucifixion of Jesus and we see that the soldiers go along breaking the legs of the criminals who are crucified next to him so that they would die quicker but when they reach Jesus they find he's already dead so they don't break his bones and John says all this happened so that the scripture might be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken he is the lamb and it's perfect substitution the lamb dies so that the firstborn can live and as the firstborn the next morning saw the bones on the grate would hear the screams of the other houses as they'd lost their firstborn what would the firstborn think? that lamb died for me if that lamb hadn't died I would die the lamb dies for the firstborn but actually the true lamb is himself God's firstborn the firstborn dies for the firstborn now the New Testament never actually gives such a detailed explanation of the cross 
You'll never get such detail. Instead, the New Testament tells us which bits of the Old Testament are being fulfilled. And so the New Testament essentially says to us, if you want to understand the cross, look at the Old Testament. Because that's what Jesus is fulfilling. He's the promised lamb. So if you want to understand the cross, look at things like the Passover. That'll crack it for you. And when you do that, when you follow the New Testament to the Old and look at places like the Passover, you just can't view the cross as being primarily about God suffering alongside us. Where do you get that? In Passover. You can't get the cross is really about God's means to make us sick of the thought of sin. What's that got to do with Passover? Now those things are true. The cross does have that effect. But what do we really see the Old Testament keen to teach us? Atonement is about a substitute bearing the death penalty of another. A much grander thing. And then through the death penalty being borne by a substitute all those other things happen. All those other great things. So now because the lamb has died now Israel can be freed from her slavery in Egypt. Because the lamb of God dies we can be freed from our slavery to sin. Well that's a little bit on the lamb as our penal substitute in the Old Testament. But of course the climax has to be Isaiah 53. Let's have a look at this. Isaiah 53. And here, lamby, sheepy kind of language going on here. And substitution language going on here. Isaiah 53. Verse 5. He was wounded or pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Think the ram, Isaac, the Passover lamb, it's all that kind of stuff. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes or wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is brought before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Well, let's move on from the lamb and see a little bit more. Let's go to Leviticus 16. All right? Now, Leviticus 16, because you ain't going to get a, a, a really good understanding of atonement unless you look at the great day of atonement. Yom Kippur. The day of atonement. Leviticus 16. Okay? So the Day of Atonement. This is really going to teach us about atonement. Now, basically, the context is this. Israel's wandering in the desert. 
And the Lord wants to be close to his people. And so there's this big sort of moving campsite of Israel. And bang in the middle of the campsite is the Lord's huge marquee. The tabernacle. And he's, the Lord wants, you see, he's showing, to live in the, middle of, in the middle of his people. Right with them. But there's a problem. You go, well, that, that, that's great, but because he is holy and his people are sinful, they'll die if they even try and look at him. So Leviticus 16, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, the, the actual throne room of the Lord, behind this mighty veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark. The, uh, you know, this is Indy's Ark of the Covenant being talked about. And the mercy seat is its lid. And this is the throne of the Lord. So don't come in before that throne, into this throne room. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So do you see, the Lord wants to be with his people, but he can't be because they're sinful. They'll die if they try to be with him. If Aaron tries to sneak in, going, oh, that's great, if we can be with the Lord, let's go in and see him. Boom. You'll die. So what to do? Well, first thing, Verse 3, Aaron can go in to be with the Lord if he sacrifices a bull and a ram as a burnt offering. Hello, we know all about that. Yeah, yeah, Leviticus 1, we've done that, burnt offering. And, and a ram as a sin offering. And then his sins are considered covered by the blood and he can approach. But, Aaron doesn't want to approach just for himself. He, want to approach, he wants to approach to represent all the people going in to be with the Lord. So if he's going to do that, the sins of the people have to be dealt with as well. So what does he do? Well, from verse 5, he grabs two goats and he casts lots for them. And then verse 8, he casts lots, one lot for the Lord, the other for the scapegoat. So one lot for the Lord, one goat for uh, the scapegoat. And then verse 15, he whacks one of the goats, the goat for the Lord, the goat of the sin offering that's for the people. Kills that. Sorry, probably not, not with a gun, but I assume a knife or something. So he kills goat one. And then he is to bring its blood, verse 15, inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. Now, that's the kind of thing we've seen already. Sin deserving death, but being taken by a substitute. Yeah? People deserve death, this goat dies in their place. But the Day of Atonement just adds a certain richness to this because the Day of Atonement shows us the effect of that sacrifice by shoving another goat into the recipe. So, so far we've seen when one animal dies in the place of the sinner, 
you know, it dies, takes their place. But the Day of Atonement, we get another goat added to the pot. So what happens there? And this is going to just sort of bring out an extra richness to our understanding. Verse 21. So goat number one has been killed, blood sprinkled. Verse 21. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the, we assume, quite nervous live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who's in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote place. That's atonement. Another dies our death, goat one, so that, goat two, our sin might be carried far away. Yeah? Another dies our death, goat one, so that our sin can be carried far away, as we see in goat two. But I just want to show you an extra little freebie on the Day of Atonement. It's not actually in Leviticus 16. It's nine chapters later in chapter 25. Okay? Now, chapter 25... Basically, it would have been so cool to have lived in Israel at the time because they get, not only do they get Saturdays off the whole time, you kind of go, yeah, yeah, well, that's fairly normal. Every seven years, they get a whole year off. That's nice. And it's not just off work. It's it's like, uh, well, we'll see. You get get wonderful. Every seven years is, is a year off. But once a lifetime you get the super sabbath which is what everyone's and you really hope it doesn't happen when you're three because you really want to enjoy this one and basically every 50 years Leviticus 25 verse 9 what happens every 50 years on the day of atonement sound the trumpet throughout all your land consecrate the 50th year and Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And basically, the rest of chapter 25 is all about what jubilee looks like. And what does jubilee look like? Rest. Don't do any work. End to slavery. End to all slavery. End to all debt. Got any debts? Cancelled. And even the land is given rest. So the land can chill out for a year. And, and it's a time of feasting. You, 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 it's like a law. You've got to party. Yeah, that's great. Everyone loves the year of Jubilee. And all of that is brought about through the Day of Atonement. It's announced because of atonement. Atonement is made. The trumpet sounds. And then rest is brought to the land one day we will hear the trumpet sound and because atonement has been made we will enjoy all the wonderful promises of the gospel rest for the whole earth an end to all our slavery all your debt gone particularly the debt of sin a time of feasting for the whole earth. That is what that trumpet will announce. So you see, all the wonderful promises of the gospel 
secured on the Day of Atonement, brought about through another dying our death so that our sin might be carried away. Now, all this um, representation of someone by an animal or by someone else is often what confuses people. And people think, now, okay, uh, it kind of sounds quite nice, but realistically, how does it work? I mean, how can an animal take someone's sin? Yeah? Sounds a bit odd. How can Aaron represent someone else? How can Jesus represent me and take my sin on the cross? Is it that somehow sin is this stuff that can float through the air and get shoved on Jesus? That can somehow Jesus can that God can take sin through time and space and bung it on Jesus at the cross? Is it? Well, that's weird. Is that what we're saying? No. Let's try and understand what is going on. There's a little story in Joshua 7 that helps us with this. Have a look at Joshua 7. So, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. The story of Achan in Joshua 7. Okay. Now, Joshua 7, the story of Achan. Now, basically, what's happened is the Israelites are just starting to go into the promised land of Canaan. And the deal is, go in, have this lovely land, but you mustn't grab the stuff from the conquered Canaanites. They've got all these little sort of mini statues of Chemosh and stuff like that. I know they're nice, they're gold, they're twinkly. Don't have them. Get rid of them. Okay? Don't nick stuff from the Canaanites. You'll enjoy the whole land, but don't grab their stuff. Just destroy everything. So Joshua 7 verse 1. Achan of Judah did nick some of this stuff. So he nicked some of this stuff. And as a result, what happens? End of verse 1. The anger of the Lord burned against whom? Not Achan. The people of Israel. So Achan, one man sins, and the whole nation the Lord is angry at. And so what we see in Joshua 7 is Israel gets trounced in battle because the Lord's angry with them. All of them, because of one man's sin. Well, through Joshua 7, you see that um, Joshua finds out why the Lord is angry with Israel and finds out it's because of the sin of one man, Achan. And so, he sorts it. Verse 25. They find Achan. And then all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over Achan a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Yeah? One man sins, the Lord is angry with all. One man is killed for sin, and the Lord's anger is turned away from all. Now, 
so it is with two men Adam and Christ Adam we've seen he sinned and Romans 5 is really helpful to read on this we don't have time to read it together now but scribble it down to read it yourself later Romans 5 we see Adam sinned and so Romans 5.15 because of the one man's sin many died the, the father of us all sinned and all his family die as a result but just as one sin leads to death and condemnation for all so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all so one man sins that all are made guilty one man dies for that sin and all can be made righteous and live. The, the Bible sometimes talks about it as, um, as though Adam and Christ are two plants. Okay? So Adam is this plant and we, as his descendants, grow out of him, as it were, like we're his branches. Yeah? So when the root is cursed, we are cursed. Adam is cursed with death and that affects us all we are all cursed in Adam Christ is the second plant he overcomes that curse of death and is declared righteous in his resurrection and so when we are grafted into him are born again all that happened to him becomes true of us he died to sin as we're united to him we are said to have died to sin he's raised we're raised and given new life do you see so it's not like there's this substance called sin that has to be sort of shoved through time and space there's nothing weird going on like that it is that all the problem is dealt with in Christ when you're united to him he's dealt with your problem and you are counted to have suffered the penalty of death and been raised to a new life when you're united to Christ everything that is his becomes yours just as when you were in Adam everything that was Adam's was yours death born in Adam you must die be born again in Christ and you've gone through death and been raised to a new life ok well there's just one more Old Testament picture I want to try to pick up to make clear the heart of the cross as we've understood some of how it all works out and we've seen the theme of the Lamb there's just one more picture I want to pick up and it's what Jesus refers to in Matthew 26 so have a look at that Matthew 26 ok now Matthew 26 from verse 36 now this is all uh, the night before Jesus dies ok so they've had the last supper they've drunk that cup 
and they, they're now in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, having just had the Last Supper with all that lovely bread and wine inside them, the disciples just snooze. They doze off, burping contentedly. And Jesus then prays. Verse 39. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Let this cup pass from me. Now, what cup is he talking about? What, what is this cup? Well, there are two cups that the Old Testament talks about. One, you can see this in Psalm 116, if you want to have a look at it. One is the cup of salvation. It's definitely not that one that Jesus is referring to. He's definitely not saying, oh, I don't want that. That wouldn't make sense at all. No, so he's not referring to the cup of salvation. He's referring to the other cup, which is the cup of the Lord's wrath. And this is mentioned many times. Psalm 75 says that that cup is a foaming cup that all the wicked of the earth drink down to its very dregs. Isaiah 51 calls it the goblet that makes men stagger. Stagger, reel with horror as Christ is doing now at the very thought of drinking it. There's another place where it gets mentioned in Revelation 14. Have a look. Revelation 14. Verse 9. Revelation 14, 9. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. That is the cup that Jesus drains on the cross. And only because Jesus takes that cup can we lift to our lips the other cup, the cup of salvation. Well, that is just a sampling of some of the places that the New Testament takes us to teach us about what's going on at the cross. Now, I've deliberately not looked much at the New Testament here. Partly because I want you to see that the New Testament is always taking you to the Old Testament to understand the cross properly. But also, I'll be absolutely honest with you, because there are many excellent studies of what the New Testament says on the cross that I hope you'll follow up. There's just stuff we haven't covered so you can get to enjoy it. Now, there are some books out there that I beg you to buy and read some really, really excellent books that's gonna, that will, um, some of them are about explaining the cross, some of them are about applying the cross to our lives and they will 
um, talk about what the New Testament says about the cross far better than I could. So there's a cross examined by Mark Menel which will explain what the cross is about and show you some of the application of it. There's, um, there's plenty of others. There's Pierce for our transgressions, a bit more detail going on there. Excellent study of the cross in all the scriptures. There's um, C.J. Mahaney, slightly more applied um, book. Now, what's it called again? It's the cross-centred life, isn't it? Mahaney is fantastic at seeing how the cross works out in everyday life. Now, if you've not got money with you, ideally don't steal one. You've got to get one. Okay, you've got to get one. uh, Because they're not going to let you out the doors unless you buy one. But... Ideally, don't steal one. If you have to, all right. No, 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 don't. Don't steal one. But, you know, you could, you could earn money this afternoon as you're going around. Ask for a bit of money as you're explaining the cross to people. Ask, say, look, I need to understand this a bit more. Could you give me just a fiver to buy this great book? And if, give me a tenner and you can have one as well. Or you could, you know, sell an organ or something to get the money. It's worth it. You'll get more than your kidney's worth out of those books. Anyway, please follow these things up. What have we seen this morning? What we've seen is that it all hinges around Genesis 3. That's the problem. Adam's sin is what earned God's punishment. And the result? Death. God's anger. Expulsion from paradise, the lovely presence of the Lord, this curse on creation, the beginning of all misery. And all that is undone by Christ, the Lord himself, taking his own curse, bearing the punishing curse. That's the essential need. And then, through that, death and misery are dealt with. The serpent is crushed by that promised seed. Because of that, Rest can be announced to the whole earth. There can be a new creation. Adam took from the tree and earned death. Christ went to the tree and took that death for him. And that is the heart of the gospel. Not that God is merely coming alongside us or expressing his concern for us in all that we face. But more, far more than that, that God's own love deals with his holy fury at our sin. This is love. This is love. Not that God is unconcerned about our sin. Not that very concerned. This is love that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, as the one who would turn aside his wrath as the lamb taking away our sins. Let's pray in response to this great heart of the gospel briefly together. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? 
our great Lord said, quickly we forget the cross, we reinterpret it, we water it down. Make us, those who are eager to search your scriptures, to unpack the wonders of the cross. And so change our lives. Make us people who trust you more, love you more, are eager to tell others to announce this great atonement to the world as we wait for that trumpet blast and for you to renew all things on the basis of the cross. And we pray these things boldly approaching you because of what you have done there in your Son. And in his great name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. Union is devoted to growing leaders and growing churches. Our School of Theology equips leaders for ministry. Union Publishing supplies them and their churches with quality theological resources and books. Union Mission supports and financially helps church planting and revitalisation. And Newton House, Oxford, invests in the next generation of theologians and scholars. Our vision is to see leaders and their churches the world over reformed and renewed in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out about our courses and learning communities around the world, to buy Union books, to discover support for your church plant, or to become a friend of Union and support our ministry, visit www.viola.gy